word. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. We read that far from God's word. Everyone knows that the next verse, Jeremiah 31, 31, and following, is the big announcement of the new covenant. Much is made of that, and should be, and we will soon. Just before God announced that, God answered a bad proverb and a false teaching that the people in exile believed. Think of it this way. Before you plant a seed in your garden, you till up the soil, right? God's tilling up the soil of what bad things they were believing and removing them so that they're ready to receive the words of the new covenant. The false belief of the exiles was that they were suffering for the sins of a previous generation. Remember, the exiles about 70 years So you get along in years, people are born, and they were never part of the deportations. They were born in exile, they lived in Babylon, and learned all these things that were happening around them, and reached a false conclusion that this exile and all that they're suffering is because of Papa, because of Mama, because of the previous generation, and start to blame them and have bad spiritual thinking processes. So the exiles began to complain, apparently, because they believed they didn't deserve the exile. So God needs to answer that. and brings truth and justice and mercy to bear. The truth is that the exiles deserve what they're getting. Yes, the next generation and the following one after that. And the justice is that God dealt justly and properly with each person in each generation. And individual and separately. And the mercy is that they should look ahead. Because God's story isn't finished yet. They should look beyond this day and look up from their complaining and suffering and anticipate a new beginning, which brings us to our main point. As, a, as certain as was the exile, so certain is the new beginning the Lord God will bring. So we'll see this in three ways. Verse 27, God will sow the seed, which is to repopulate their homeland. Then second point, verse 28, as God watched over the exile, God will watch over the rebuilding and replanting. Key word, watch over, we'll study that. And then thirdly, God removed fatalistic thinking, I'll explain, blaming and self-pitying and replaced them with fresh thoughts of new possibilities, verses 29 and 30, all this necessary before verse 31 and next week. So first, God will sow the seed, which is to repopulate the homeland. Verse 27, the people's attention is directed to their, from their exile to their future new beginning. They are called to imagine being home. What must the fields look like? We're going to need to plant crops and so on. So verse 27 begins, Behold, the days are coming. Stop griping about your exile and start looking ahead to the days that are coming. God is lifting their eyes in just the first few words here. In fact, notice the similarity of the start with the next two verses. If you let your eyes jump to verse 28, and it shall come to pass that. Now jump to verse 29, which starts out with these words, In those days... So in all three verses, the first three verses of our passage, there's a future expectation, a future orientation, and it is good. It is positive. 
Start to think differently, God is saying to the exiles. So here in our verse, verse 27, what is it that is a new beginning here? Here the word picture is that God compared his people to the process of restoring farming fields, namely planting seeds. The people of the houses of Israel and the house of Judah are compared to a field which will be re-sown by God. God the farmer, if you will. God is the one who himself will scatter the seed, if you look at verse 27 carefully. The word sow and the word seed, so the verb of actually spreading the seeds and the noun for the seed itself, come from the same Hebrew root word, not surprising because they're similar in English as well. It's an illusion, though, that we're not supposed to miss. It's going all the way back to Genesis 15, 18, the promise of God to Abraham. Using the same word there, the word seed, but in place of it is, gets translated properly, descendants, instead of seed, descendants, it shows that God would make his seed or his descendants the recipients of God's covenant blessings in the land. We could talk about offspring, descendants, children, grandchildren, or just cap, like, encapsulate them all with the word seed. And the best fulfillment, though, is later in, in Galatians 3.16, where the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And here Paul comments, it does not say, and to offsprings, plural with an S on the end, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, singular, one seed, who is Christ, Galatians 3.16. So Paul interprets it for us and nails it to Christ and him crucified. He is the seed. He's the best fulfillment of what we're describing here, of the exiles looking ahead, the exiles looking ahead to coming home to the homeland. But we're not just talking about the homeland of that piece of real estate in Israel, are we? We're talking about God's relationship to his people, and it's going to extend in the future far beyond their resettling back to that land. And so we know where it's going. So this new beginning of the people of God coming out of exile and re-entering their homeland is tied to that future redemption of the Messiah, taking their sins away once and for all through his death and resurrection. Through Christ, God will repopulate the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Later, through Christ, God will repopulate his church around the world, as is happening now. This is being fulfilled in these ways. And still later, through Christ, God will populate heaven with his people when he brings us all home to the heavenly Jerusalem. Days are coming, God says to them, verse 27. It shall come to pass, God says to them, verse 28. In those days, referring to future days, he says in verse 29, we're called to keep our eyes on the future promises as we go through difficulties. That's the way that the exiles were to get through. Think of verses such as Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. Colossians 3, 2. Or Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. That's present tense, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Philippians 3.20-4.1. 
He's making the point. He's adding to and filling out the picture for us. If we're in exile, we're supposed to look ahead to what God is bringing in the future. It's the same as the church in exile in this world, looking ahead to what God is bringing in the future, our citizenship in heaven, and yet it means something for the present. It's the not yet leaking back and being downloaded to the already. We already now have blessings. It's not we're on our own to get through the world And then when we get to heaven's gates, we can finally be taken care of. We're taken care of all the way to heaven as well. We're taken care of in exile. The the exiles who read Jeremiah and heard him were warranted to read. Even before they got back to the homeland, God cares for us in the future. God cares for us in the present. The new beginning that he's pointing them to has already begun by faith. We're already citizens of heaven. We're already seeds planted in the homeland fields of God's farm. We already have a home there. We already have a name placard at the banquet table. There's a seat reserved for us. This is the message that God has for his exiles. While they're exiles, you're coming home. And the message is the same for us. While we're here in this world, the message is keep remembering the days that are coming. And that was our first point. God will sow the seed to repopulate the homeland, drawing some lessons from it. We move on to verse 28, our second point. As God watched over the exile, he'll watch over the rebuilding and replanting. Verse 28 transports Jeremiah now back previously in history to the 40 years of his ministry of preaching to the very beginning. Verse 28 transports us back 30 chapters. All of a sudden, God is bringing us back to how this all began. We return to that moment where there was a mere boy in a town called Anathoth, and Jeremiah first heard the word, the voice of the Lord. Verse 28 pulls from God's initial statement back in chapter 1, calling Jeremiah as a prophet in the first place. We read Jeremiah 1, verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth, See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, listen, to build and to plant. Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10. And God is saying, remember that moment, Jeremiah? Back when I first called you to be a prophet? You've been seeing all that happen right on the mark ever since. It's the plan. You know the breaking down, you know the destroying. It's been happening as people were carried away by enemy armies. But that's not all. It's not over. I'm not done. There's a promise of a new beginning in that initial statement in chapter 1. Now we read Jeremiah 31, 28, where we're studying. We're back to our passage. Verse 28, it all sounds familiar now. It all sounds similar now. And here, is, here it goes, quote, And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down, to overthrow, destroy, and to bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. Do you see a certain verb of God's action repeated in verse 28 twice? Watch over, watched over. You've got to get it in your mind, your theology, the way you view God and how God relates to us, to the church today, to you as individuals and as families. You've got to get it in your mind that we have a God who's able to watch attacks happen, watch deportations happen, watch King Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon come into his city, into his people's homes 
take them away, and hold them hostage for up to 70 years. You have to have room in your idea of who God is for this to happen. But he's not done. You see that certain verb, watch over the exile, is the same God who will watch over their return, who will watch over their restoration, and who will watch over their rebuilding. God is watching over his people in a very active way. In the future, he says, days are coming, he says, when the time for uprooting Judah will be over, and the time for uprooting will be replaced by the time for planting. It's time to go home. As a carryover from verse 27, understand the audience. This is directed toward both the north, the house of Israel, and the south, the house of Judah. And it points forward, you see, to that time when God will watch over the gathering of all of his people from all the parts of the world. When with thoroughness God watched out for those in the lion's den in exile and those in the fiery furnace in exile and those in decades of drudgery and mistreatment in the exile as God watched over them that same God will now watch over their return home and with the same thoroughness. With thoroughness. God will place all of their sins on the Lord Jesus Christ in that one day. And with the same thoroughness, God will place all the blessings of Christ around us now with the fullness yet to come. He's over it all. From before the foundation of the world, deciding his people and carrying us through all the mess and all the difficulty all along the way. The, the classic hymn, His Eyes on the Spirit, reminds us, Jesus is with us now. Jesus watches over us now as our constant friends, it will say. His eye is on the sparrow. We could say his eye is on the exile, the person in exile. He, if he's watching sparrows, he's certainly watching his people, his individual persons in the exile And what's the lesson from the hymn? The same lesson from our passage. I know he watches me. He watches over my suffering. I am not stuck because God watches over me in my recovery, in my restoration, in my rebuilding, in my reinterpretation of how my life is going. And when we sing this, Let's let these words stand out because they're right in our passage. I know he watches me. When songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him from care he set me free. His eye is on the sparrow slash exile slash me slash sufferer. I know he cares for me. We're designed to anticipate the comprehensiveness with which God will overturn this mess. Far as the curse is found, we sing at Christmas time. The blessings of God will come upon us in heaven with such a comprehensive and thorough and pressed down, measured out, and worked out way. We need to celebrate that. With great insistence and rigor, God will place upon us blessings, even as he placed upon the exiles sufferings. The God who will give us blessings in the future is the God who's watching over us now and offering us from right here, from right where you're sitting, without getting up, without changing a thing, don't make a phone call. Right now, right here, he's offering us a new beginning. 
through repentance and faith with his son, the Lord Jesus. It's time to prepare ourselves for God's new day in the future to begin to be seen breaking into our everyday in the present. God is not just passively watching on the sidelines, sort of just making sure you live until you get to heaven. God is in the game, actively reversing our problems into blessings now or leaving problems be because that's his design. He's superintending the problems so that they work his redemptive purposes. And when the time is right, he reverses the problems. As God watched over the exile, God watched over the rebuilding and replanting. Rich lessons, comforting lessons for us. We move to our third point. God goes into their heads. He goes into their thinking. He removes fatalistic thinking, blaming and self-pitying and replaces them with fresh thoughts of new possibilities. Verse 29 has a proverb. Don't memorize it. Don't put it on your mirror because it's an awful proverb. Here it is. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. That false bad proverb was used by the people in the exile to blame the previous generations for their suffering during the exile. The same popular thinking is written over in Ezekiel 18. It's written over in the book of Lamentations, chapter 5, verse 7, and there it sounds similar. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. And possibly these proverbs were based on a misunderstanding of the statement we find in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 5, it says, God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate God. It's possibly a, a bad spin on that. It's a memorable proverb, you have to admit, but incorrect. We just don't go around eating raw or sour grapes, but maybe if I translate it this way, Father takes his kids to the garden. Father bites into a raw stock, a rhubarb, and his children watching have their lips pucker in disgust. It's a memorable proverb for their day, and if you said it something along those lines, it would be a memorable proverb in our day, but just as incorrect. God has to clear the rubble of their thinking before he lays down the beauty of the new covenant to come. While there's an aspect of consequences of sins of the fathers and mothers for sure, impacting their children, yes, of course, we live together, don't we? That's not why the children each suffer before God. Those children are not innocent sufferers. Children are sinners in their own right, sinners in their own case. Fatalistic thinking can set in, and it sounds like this. I'm doomed to suffer because of so-and-so, naming another person. So why even try? Woe is me. I have a raw deal. Stinks to be me. I blame my parents. I'll never get out of this mess. This is my destiny. That's fatalistic thinking. If anything like that sounds familiar to you, then you're already knowing about this fatalistic thinking. It's despair. God saw that sort of thinking in his people in exile and he addressed it in order to correct it before he gave them the new covenant explanation. Verse 30. The correct principle is restated here to replace that bad proverb The good principle is that each person is judged individually. There it is, verse 30. Everyone shall die for his own 
iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. And that doesn't seem like good news, but the correction there is profound and necessary. God's point to the exiles is that even though the nation's guilt has been continuous and each generation fully deserves their punishment received in exile, there is something to change here in our thinking. It's not a brand new point that God is now making, but earlier in the book of Jeremiah, God already taught this. That shouldn't surprise us either. We need to be taught the same things over and over. Back in Jeremiah 11, verses 7 and 8, we read, I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone, listen, everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not do. Jeremiah 11, 7-8. There's a needed change of their understanding about how accountability to God is conducted. A new proverb needs to replace the old proverb. For the generation just prior to the exile, their repentance would have spared them from the exile. However, for the generation born during the exile, this proverb does have a grain of truth. That's kind of how they got there. We understand the history. We're not, we're not trying to be so stubborn that we don't see the point. They got into exile in some measure because of their father's sins. However, each generation has enough sin to deal with and deserves punishment in their own right, and that is where their focus should be. The point is that God's judgment is not given out to substitutes. If God wanted to deal with your father, he would deal with your father. If God wants to deal with you, he'll deal with you. If the father sinned, the father dies for his own sins. If the father eats a sour grape, his lips pucker and his teeth are set on edge. If the son sinned, then the son dies for the son's own sins. Everyone in history has died for his own sins except for one. This needed to be covered before we get to verse 31. It needs to be understood that everybody needs this. There's only one person in all of history who didn't have any sin, should have got through without dying, but died. He died, but not for his own sins. He bore the sin of many in his own body on that cross. So verse 30 is not the last word on sin and death for everyone. It's just setting us straight to realize each person is a sinner and deserves to die, as Paul makes clear in Romans 3 and Romans 6. God here in this verse, these two verses, 29 and 30, is laying the groundwork, removing the rubble to promise a new beginning for his nation of Israel, his people, Israel and Judah. They'll find themselves once again made whole, existing as Israel and Judah mended together again. God's people will find themselves once again and at long last prepared to accept personal responsibility. Didn't we have 30 chapters of not doing that? When you read back through, it's striking how they blame the priest, they blame the prophet, they blame the religious leaders, they blamed other people. No one wanted to take personal responsibility. This is what I have done. I need to repent before God. God's people will once again be enabled to admit their sin, to confess their sin. 
God's people will be retrained by God. No longer to blame someone else. Started in the garden. Eve is confronted and, and says, this man that you gave me, or Adam is confronted says, this woman that you gave me, and the woman blames the serpent. The blame-shifting game goes all the way back to the garden. God's people are being retrained by God here not to blame someone else for their own sin and their own troubles, which is repentance. It's essential for repentance, which is a pathway to new possibilities. It's a pathway to the new beginning. What have we seen? As certain as was the exile, so certain is the new beginning the Lord God will bring. He will sow seed, which is to repopulate the homeland. As he watched over the exile, he'll watch over the rebuilding and replanting, and he removes false, fatalistic thinking, commandments and proverbs we make up, blaming that we do, self-pitying that we dip into and removes them, replaces them with correct and fresh thoughts of new possibilities. I basically have two applications, repent and believe, but it's a little more nuanced than that. Repent and believe are the categories, the two application points. Both repentance and faith are about recovering, repairing, and deepening our relationship with God, aren't they? So let me talk about each for a moment as take-home lessons from this Bible passage. Number one, repentance. Receive the gift of repentance. It's a gift. Avoid despair as dangerous to your spiritual health. We have to actually repent of despair, which says, never going to be new beginnings. Wrong. Repent. There are new beginnings. We have to avoid self-pity as a spiritual poison. Woe is me is wrong for the people of God who've been given God's tremendous gifts of redemption in Christ Jesus, his word, his spirit, We have to avoid the sin of blaming others for the consequences for our sins and our pain in this broken world. Are there ramifications since the fall? Yes. Do we believe in original sin since Adam? Yes, of course. Are the things that your parents did impacting you still? Yes, yes, yes. What we do is we self-escalate. I can't say the word. Uh, It's a lawyer term, so that's why I can't say it. I can't get it, escalpate, I think it is. You take away your personal responsibility before the court. I should have written it down. Take responsibility for your own sins. Turn them from them to God. Families, I notice that families develop their own little false, bad proverbs. You know, the siblings will get together and they'll say, well, you know, that's what it's like in this family. That's just wrong, proverbial um, falsehoods that damages each person's thinking and then spiritual life. You know, that's what you get for, for being a snodgrass, uh, and listing our names and listing our, our extended family or people where we work. And we, we allow ourselves to get stuck in a downward spiral of curses. These are curses. We are the most blessed of all human beings. And we're announcing curses on ourselves. Be clear about what we're doing. Receive the gift of repentance for this. I try to illustrate Someone sends you a box, uh, a gift in an Amazon box. It gets delivered to your front porch. You didn't know about it. You didn't know it was coming. You don't know who it's from. You go out and find the box, and you do one of these. Absolutely just pumped it away. (laughs) What on earth? That's what we're doing. God gives us blessings. Despair and self-pity punts them away. 
I'm closed to your blessings. I insist it stinks to be me. Don't start sending me any more blessings. I don't want no Amazon box. I'll punt those too. We make up bad proverbs. The good old days I never knew, but I always hear about. I don't know, you can make up your own bad proverb. It's sin. God is here and now offering us a fresh start. God is here and now offering us a new beginning. God is bringing us gospel, gospel gift in Christ Jesus who was crucified for our sins and has risen again. Receive the gift of repentance. And although repentance is a necessary condition for salvation and a new beginning, repentance itself is a gift from God's grace. You can't manufacture it. It comes from him. God's promises of restoration in these beautiful chapters, 30, 31, 32, and 33 of Jeremiah, do not presuppose the repentance of the people. These chapters seem to generate the repentance of the people. You display God's mercy and gifts and blessing, and people are drawn to God and drawn to him through repentance. Strong similarity to Deuteronomy chapter 30. There, based on God's grace and God's gift, the people are told to choose life. Well, they can't choose life on their own. They were given grace to desire to choose well and choose life. That's what it's meant. In the same way, when we're called to repent, we're not earning God's grace. Oh, good for you. You're one of the goodies who repented. It's the opposite. Because we have God's grace given to us, we, of all people, are enabled to repent. And the more we hear of God's good news, the more we hear of his promises, the more we hear of his mercy, the more we want to respond by turning from our sins unto God and being ever so thankful to be shown our sins, to receive conviction, to be shown his mercy, to receive the gift of repentance itself. That's the first application, receive God's gift of repentance. I already leaked. I told you the second one is faith. We can put it like this. Trust God during painful times. You're assigned to be a counselor for an exile person, what do you say to them? I hope you could say to them the biblical answer here, trust God during painful times. So you're a counselor to yourself. You talk to yourself more than I talk to you. What do you say to yourself during difficult days? I hope you say something biblical to yourself like trust God during painful times. Let me try to illustrate what we look like when we don't trust our Heavenly Father Bible professor Bruce Walke described a Christian's response to painful times this way. He once went, went and rescued a little bird, a wren, from the claws of his family cat. Though its wing was broken, the frightened bird did everything it could to escape from Dr. Walke's loving hands, trying to get away. Bird wants to fly away. Contrast that with his trip to the doctor for his daughter, having strep throat, a shot was necessary. So there she is on his lap, frightened, saying, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, and you can imagine. All the while gripping tightly around his neck. For the Christian relating to God, we ought to be more like the child, the sick child clinging to God, our father even tighter, instead of like the hurt bird trying to fly away from him altogether. Trust God during painful times. Pastor, how do you get there? There will be times when the sins of the past and the consequences of the present take a seemingly unmanageable toll on us. That's when we're tempted to pull away entirely from our Heavenly Father. 
we find ourselves, we shock ourselves thinking these things. Uh, what evil have I done to deserve this much pain? And we're tempted to think that God is unjust in my case and giving me pain that rightly belonged to someone else, but it's the very moment when God wants us to understand something important from this passage. It's just like God's message to the exiles in our very verses today. Learn to trust God's love for us even in the painful moment. 1 Peter 4.13, Peter writes it this way, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter and Jeremiah fully admitted that the things in our lives don't always feel pleasant, yet God is loving us and is building something. Hebrews 11.10, By faith Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Since God is building a future heavenly home for us, we need to believe he's giving us present blessings now also, preparing us now to be citizens of heaven when we get to heaven. Because we have a long-term future with God, we have a short-term future with God. You can't really believe that all these incredible blessings will launch when we get there, but there's nothing for us now. Hebrews 12, 28, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God is planting something in you that will grow. Just as he watched over the breakdown to repentance, he watched over the rebuilding by faith. Look beyond the time of this pain to the time of a new beginning, a new building, a new crop of fruitfulness. This week, do some plowing and weeding in your spiritual garden that you are ready for God to plant new seeds next week when we start with verse 31. Get rid of some family commandments. Get rid of some inherited proverbs or ones that you authored. Time to plow up the soil. God knows all about your hurts. He will not let this cause you damage. He's using the pain to deepen the character of Christ in you. God is refining us. He's removing our remaining imperfections and impurities so that we'll be more and more like Christ. Romans 6, 5, If we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with Christ in a resurrection like his. Growing and waiting for new possibilities is more painful than we expected. And sadly, we actually prefer to stay in the sin and selfishness, just like Judah before the exile. But we do want to escape the consequences, just like Judah during the exile. But God leads us through these difficult circumstances because of his love for us, just like Judah after the exile. The story is you. The story is me. The lesson is to trust God during the exile. Trust God during painful times. How? You have to believe God is doing something new. There's a new beginning launching you've never even seen before. That kind of hope, that kind of trust, that kind of newness. Put your focus there. New possibilities, new beginning, fresh start. That is the outlook for a Christian. Let's pray.